the way that it it feels is like I I quiet my mind and then I let the world build, which sounds wild because it is my mind that is building it, but it doesn't feel like I'm I didn't try out different colors for the tablecloth. It just always was blue. Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest, and today's conversation is all about improv. So a few years ago I directed a student improv group and it was an incredible amount of fun. Since I've been back in New York City, which is kind of the improv capital of the world, I guess, along with Chicago and maybe LA, I signed up for two improv classes, both through the Squirrel Theater. One is an intro to improv, and one is a jumping back into improv. So even though I've directed an improv group, I've never performed improv, so I, I thought I should start with the basics, and I enjoyed that so much, I signed up for a jumping back into improv class as well. And one of my classmates is a fantastic performer. Her name is Alyssa McGilvery. She's also an actor and a stand-up comedian. In this conversation, we do a deep dive into improv, some of the things that we learned in class, and then at the end, we do two improv scenes. Enjoy. Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on. What's the biggest area right now that you want to grow as an improv player? As an improv player, I, there it's too it's twofold. So I think first and foremost for me would be listening. Uh, I think sometimes I uh, I'll zone out in the middle of a scene and I'll come back and I'll be like, oh no, <laughs> where we are or who we are. <laughs> uh, so listening the whole time. Uh, and I don't know if you remember, there was a time where uh, I think Ian, like Ian cut a scene, he ended a scene and I was sort of like, huh, what happened? <laughs> and so I was just sitting there for a second. And I was like, oh, the scene is over. <laughs> so that was, that's first and foremost, listening and being aware um, the entire time. And then the other thing is uh, heightening where figuring out where the scene can go and how to sustain it. Because I think for me, I, I in comedy, I love jumping from A to C. Like you skip B and you jump from A to C. Um, and then I feel like sometimes I will jump from A to Z and I'm like, okay, well then we are out of letters. <laughs> so I guess, I guess, I guess we're done here. <laughs> jump from a to cosine exactly yep <laughs> when you uh, zone out in the middle of a scene is it because you're thinking of where you want to go next or where the scene could go next or is it you're just thinking of something else entirely i i think i just end up thinking about something else entirely i think when i'm thinking about where a scene can go a part of how i a part of how i'm thinking about that is is trying to focus very intensely on where the scene is right then. Um, there was an exercise, it, we were doing this similar exercise um, on a different day for, for Kate. And there was a scene, I think you were, you were in the scene where there was a fight that happened in the bathroom because people were washing their hands wrong. Um, and like a child ended up paper mache to the wall with toilet paper. <laughs> um, and like a part of that, a part of 
me trying to figure out, okay, where can this scene go was standing on the back line and watching and listening very intensely and then being like, okay, someone can discover that this happened. So I, I think I, I become more present when, I, when I'm trying to think about where the scene can go. And then I think where I, I get lost as I'm like, did I leave the water running? <laughs> did, is my oven on? <laughs> There, did I forget to like turn the light off when I left my apartment to come here? Um, and that's, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so when you're on the back line and, and when you're fully engaged, what, what exactly are you thinking about? On the back line, I look for ways to support. Uh, I think some something that I I see uh, one thing that I, that I I've seen that I've I've wanted to to be able to tell people in not not our class but in probably like intro to improv classes is that being a supportive player on the back line doesn't necessarily mean that you are you have to participate in the scene um, sometimes giving support to the people who are in the scene means letting the scene breathe without you. And so I think there's calculation happening on the back line of is, is there a purpose, is it, would it be purposeful for me to enter the scene? Yeah. I love, I love that question or that sort of metric of, of looking at it. Would it be purposeful for me to enter this scene? So I'm a fan of rat scraps. Have you seen any of their shows? I have. Love Rat Scraps. <laughs> so good. And in particular, I really appreciate um, Shannon O'Neill and Connor Ratliff. And one of the things, and I love now if I don't go to the show in person, I'll just stream it. And I love being able to kind of rewind and check stuff out. And Connor is so good in scenes, but then he's often, he won't even come into a scene. And it's that that patience or like you're saying of just, let it breathe. And if you don't have something to offer, you don't need to offer. And I agree that in one-on-one classes or people starting out, there's sort of this need of, I need, I need to be in and I need to be saying something. And it's, I don't know, seven times out of 10, eight times out of 10, the right decision is not to do anything. Yeah, completely agree. And it, it goes, it goes back around to being a supportive team player because improv is such a team sport is a strong word a lot of it is standing or sitting <laughs> like, not a, there's right. like sometimes yeah you might run across the stage once <laughs> but it, it's a, it's a team activity um so it so much of it is about supporting the work that someone else is doing Right. It's like a team activity and going back to the idea of patience or do you have anything to offer? It's like a team activity. It's like you're the kicker on a football team. Like you're going to come in two, three times a game. Yeah. Uh, it's football, but everyone's a kicker. <laughs> <laughs> and 90% and, and of people are out of shape. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> um, what, what's your favorite improv warm-up? My favorite improv warm-up I, anything that connects me to the group and gets me paying attention to what they're doing. So zip, zap, zop is good. Go is good. 
where everyone is standing in a circle and you have to make eye contact with someone else in the circle and they give you permission to walk and take their place. And before they can move, they have to repeat the process with someone else in the circle. It, I, I'm paying, I'm watching everyone, I'm listening, I'm paying attention to where everyone is moving and I feel really connected to everyone around me. Um, another game that I, I don't, we didn't do it in this class, but I, it's my favorite to do. And I, if, if I'm doing a show with people and we don't do this exercise, I get nervous. <laughs> uh, it's where we all huddle together and we close our eyes and we all have to individually, well, we all have to collectively count to 20, um, but we're not saying the numbers in unison, we're saying the numbers individually. So, well, you can't, you can't use your eyes to look around to see who's going to say the next number. You have to feel when it is appropriate for you to be the one to speak in that moment. Mm. Um, and that's, that's big for me in terms of emotionally, intuitively connecting to the people who I'm performing with. Um, and that sort of that trust that there will be space for you and that, uh, that acknowledgement that that a part of your purpose in this group is to leave space for others is big. It's a good reminder before any sort of big performance. I love it. I love that. What does, what does improv mean to you? Improv means doing and being things that I could not do in my day-to-day -day life. Like I could never be literally a, a frog or a horse or a porpoise. Um, <laughs> like I or, a, man or a manatee who wants a marriage proposal. Yes, exactly. I could never. I could never live out those things um, literally, but in a pretend world where we've all just agreed that this is the reality and that I am a porpoise is, is, um, is it's, it's a, it's an endless world of possibilities. It sounds very cliche. Um, but it's true. Has, has improv impacted your life? I think so. I think, so it goes back to how I want to be a better listener. And I think improv makes me it helps me to consciously practice um, listening as well as being present on stage more generally. I think uh, sometimes because I'm, I started out acting with a script and I'm confident with a script. Uh, sometimes I can check out a little bit when I'm acting with a script is because, because I'm so comfortable. Uh, and with improv, I have to be present the entire time. I can't just go through the motions um, because the story is different every time. And I can, I've brought that over to instances where I was working with a script and it's easier to stay present and to listen and to, um, and to feel like the scene is being done for the first time. In, in the way that improv scenes are done for the first time. Mm, yeah, I've definitely found 
it, it, for me, it makes me a better listener. And it just makes me a little bit quicker and a little bit funnier in conversation, you know, callbacks and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, my family would not say that I'm funnier because, <laughs> because of my glasses, but I would say that. I would say that to anyone. So let's dive into process. And one of the things that stood out right away was, I think you're just great with character work. And that's sort of something that, that I need to work on, or that's a, you know, all of it's an area of getting better, but that's something I've been thinking about. So how do you think about character work? Ooh, I think character work with improv is, for me, it's similar to character work for, for scripted scenes. Um, and for this might be odd, but this is how this is where I like to start is how does this person or animal or object, how does it breathe? Um, so if it's if this character is on the nervous side or uh, or if they're older or if they're younger um, or if they're like, if they're angry, how does that change how air is moving in and out of their body? Because that how that air, if that breath is shallow, that's going to change how that person sounds um, versus if they're they're calm and they're breathing deeply. And then I think that also informs posture. So as soon as like, as soon as the breath comes into being, the feeling starts to follow and then the posture starts to change. And then, uh, and then I get to play around with other little fun stuff. Like, uh, is their voice high pitched? Is it low pitched? Are they from England? <laughs> um, do they, do they have uh, a prop? like a hat or a drink um, that sort of, that those sort of, those things are, are surface level for me, but it, it's how do they feel internally? And then once that's, once the internals are set, what do they look like externally and what are they holding on to? Mm. So it, it starts with breath, posture, and then sort of the, the accoutrement, the, the external. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So let's talk external. How do you think about object work? I think of object work there. I forget. He, he was a very famous acting instructor, and I forgot his name. Uh, I'm a very, very lazy famous. actor. Yeah, uh, he's very famous. But his, the technique is uh, is to is to see in your mind's eye everything that is physically around that character. So um, there was a scene that Baron did. It was a high school reunion. And for that entire scene, I was just like working on a buffet table. I was mixing drinks. I was making sandwiches. And I, I was like refilling the, the napkins on that table. And a part of that work was uh, what color is the curtain on the table? How long is the table? How high up is the table? Um, what, what snacks are on the table? That should be decided before you reach for a snack is what the snack is, whether it's a cheese puff or it's like a, a little mini sandwich. Um, what, what is the lighting in the room? 
um, it's a high school reunion, what's the floor look like? Are we in a gym or are we like in a mezzanine? Um, and uh, how loud is the music? And what sort of decorations are there? Or like, are there banners? Are there streamers? Are there balloons on the floor that you are mindful of as you're walking? Um, is it cold? Like, is it warm? It's the it's a it's a high school reunion. The temperature is off, but in which direction? <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So it's how like how long is the ladle that scoops the the fruit punch into your cup? It's All so those interesting things. because it's it's a mixture of creating in your mind's eye and then physically the tangible things, but also the things that that you can't demonstrate tangibly, like what's the lighting or what's the color of the of the table cloth. The more real it is for you, the more real it will be for other people. So what color was the tablecloth? It was blue. It was dark blue. <laughs> it was like polyester what? texture. So so similar to internally and starting with breath, with external objects, what's the first thing you start with? Uh, whatever is closest. So mm -hmm. for me, it's, uh, it's the world builds out from where I'm standing. And um, I, I guess it, it's, a, it's hard to describe, but it's, there's my character standing in one position and there's something that my character wants to do. So the high school reunion example, my character is hungry and wants a snack. So we have to be near a table. How close is the table? And then that's the next thing. Um, so it's like everything that I, I could experience from that point, which is like temperature, lighting, um, and what the floor looks like, and then where the character is going for what the character wants. And as the character moves closer to that thing, more of the world sorts of starts to fill in. Mm. How much of it is conscious? Like, let me let me think about the tablecloth. And how much of it is just sort of in, in writing? There's this thought of the spooky process, right? Just this, it just sort of comes to you. Uh, most of it is. Most of it is the spooky process. That's the first term, the first time I've heard that term and the first time I've used it. So I'm, I hope I'm using it correctly. But I think a lot of it is, I think it, for me, it's not, uh, it doesn't feel thought intensive. The way that it, it feels is like, I, I quiet my mind and then I let the world build, which sounds wild because it is my mind that is building it, but it doesn't feel like I'm, I didn't try out different colors for the tablecloth. It just always was blue. Right. That is so cool. I mean, that's, it's so, because when you were describing it, I was like, wow. So do you have to like sort of do a checklist? But it's the exact opposite. It is the spooky process where it's just, that process is so internalized that it's just sort of magically happening. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, similar to daydreaming dream, it's similar to daydreaming uh if you're daydreaming about how excited it would be like how exciting it would be to have an egg sandwich for lunch you you don't have to try all that hard to picture yourself walking to a bodega and buying an egg sandwich it all just sort of falls into place mm -hmm. um so 
taking that process out of um, out of a space where your eyes are closed and no one else can perceive that world and like physically being in it um, so that you can share it with other people. Um, That's such a good mix, right? Because you have internally, again, starting with breath and then um, posture, like how you're feeling internally and almost immediately externally incredible detail for where you are and all of that is visible or all that transmits to the audience, even though it's all, it's all not there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure other people didn't know the tablecloth was blue. <laughs> I think, I think anyone who like watched me manipulate it to like pull out napkins and put more on the table would have known that it was a tablecloth. Um, I think that's the that's the goal. It's funny because that that scene, which was the most recent class, so I was really trying to focus on object work, and I could and and I know you're really good at object work, and I could see you out of the corner of my eye, so I could even though I was in the scene, I did notice how detailed you were, but even more detailed than I thought. Thank you very much. For you, what makes someone a good scene partner? That's a good question. I think someone being a good scene partner, my biggest uh, request of a scene partner is uh, keep keep the train going. I think some a scene partner who can, it's, it's like playing hot potato with an idea, sort of like, I have, I have a hot potato, I pass it to the scene partner, they pass it back and we go back and forth um, and, and somehow things escalate. Uh, if I pass the hot potato to my scene partner and they walk over to a table and set it down, that's a, that kills the vibe, it kills the vibe. Um, if it's high energy, keep it high energy. If it's, if it, if it's high energy and then it, drops down, let that drop be purposeful and driving the narrative forward. Um, mm -hmm. Because if it drops down and then we keep it in this, we keep it dropped, then, then like, how, how do we, how do we make progress in this story? So did you start doing improv in college or only afterwards when you came to the city or when? I started doing improv after college. Uh, it was, I was acting uh, in the city and I wanted to be more present um, when I had a script. So got into improv to just be more present as well as being present on stage while doing standup. Um, I wanted to uh, be able to be more responsive to an audience. Because I feel like I go up and I have my jokes and an audience could like start throwing tomatoes at me and I would just keep doing what I had set out to do, like the words I had written down earlier. Uh, and that's not sustainable. So <laughs> uh, I wanted to be able to like listen and respond with the audience in those moments. So what your first two classes, where did you take them? I took them at UCB. Um, the 
the main improv cult in <laughs> New York. They had levels, they had classes, they had like, there was the specific bar that you went to after the show. It was a whole, it was a cult. I can, I can say that. Uh, <laughs> I can say that because I participated in it knowing that it was a cult. <laughs> uh, loved it too. It was great. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, uh, one of my instructors uh, is, I think, she, I think she's the president of Squirrel Theater, uh, Corin Wells. Uh, she was an amazing instructor, and um, and just I was like, well, if if Corin's involved, it's good. So, so right. do it. Yeah. So was that pre-pandemic you were taking classes, or did you do them? I see. Yeah, pre-pandemic. Interesting, because UCB had a whole or still has, I'm sure, a whole like ladder or curriculum that you go through from 101 to, to wherever. Interesting. Yeah, um, a lot of instructors uh, got frustrated with UCB after they, they all got fired by email like out of nowhere at the start of the pandemic. And I think that's how Squirrel Theater sort of initiated was a lot of disgruntled um, UCB, former UCB cult members. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. My, so my, I've been out of the country for the past eight years. So my path to improv was I directed uh, a high school student group in improv. And one, um, one summer when I was home in New York, I bought like the UCB training manual, which is phenomenal. I don't know if you have it or not, but it's so helpful. And so we just used that, or I used that to, to teach the students. And um, this is in Namibia and Southern Africa. They're, they're teenagers and, you know, they don't like improv was kind of a cool thing to do, but they were really good at it. And so I sent a, a video of us performing to UCB, to Shannon O'Neill, actually, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and she invited us to perform at the Del Close Marathon, maybe four or five years ago. And I was trying to explain to the kids, like, this is in the world of improv, this is like Woodstock. This is like the biggest <laughs> thing there is. And it didn't, it was meaningless to them. And we couldn't come because it was going to be so much money to fly and housing and all that. But I happened to be back in New York that summer, that week that the Del Close Marathon was going on. And I was taking a taxi or Uber or something with my mom and we we're going um, to Midtown. And I said, let's just drive by the theater and see, it was like 10 a.m. on you know, Friday or Saturday, see what's going on. And as we get about four blocks from the UCB theater on the, on the west side, there's like people sitting in lawn chairs. And I thought like, is there a 5K or something going on? <laughs> and then after like another two blocks, you realize these are people waiting in line blocks long at 10 in the morning um, for the show. And I was like, it, it, I was so, it was a nice moment and I was so proud of the kids. And at the same time, I was like, they don't even know, like they don't even know how big this thing is, you know? That would have been, I think that's the, that's the mindset to have though. Yes. Uh, when you, when you go from performing at the high school level to at the Woodstock level to not know that it's Woodstock, you would feel so much more comfortable 
I think, or at least I would. Um, and it would just feel, to, I, it's one of those, it reminds me, I didn't, so um, I didn't know that the, that the college that I went to was a good college until I, I got into a summer program there. Like I, <laughs> um, shout, shout out to Brown. <laughs> shout out to my alma mater. <laughs> um, no, uh, but I, I didn't know that it was a good school. I like, I was going to high school in the mid South. I had never heard of it before. Um, and then I got into a summer program and I was talking to a friend about it and he was like, oh, like that's a great school. And I was like, what? And I, then I Googled it and I was like, oh, <laughs> Like if I if I had known that that like it was going to be competitive, I might not have even put myself out there to try. Um, mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. that idea it felt... of um, the, the beginner's mindset, right? Zen mind, beginner's mind. Yeah. And what's so cool about to, to your point? What's so cool about improv is at the end of the day, whether it's some little auditorium in in, in Namibia or it's the Del Close Marathon, it's a stage with four chairs. That's it. And everything else, as we've been talking about, we're just creating. Yeah. What, um, what are some of your favorite forms? Let's see. My favorite form of improv is long form improv. I, it's something that I'm working really hard to be good at because it comes along with heightening and driving the story. Um, from, from beginning through the middle to the end um, and for every step of that story to be entertaining. And I think there's, uh, I think I see so much potential growth for me as a performer. And then as an audience member, I, my brain has been programmed to like when stories begin and then there's conflict and then the conflict gets resolved. That's so is what my brain likes to see. Me um, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a, a nice full story. That's what I like. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about conflict off air and how one of our classes, we just focused on conflict. And, and to me, generally, a good improv scene has conflict, that, that the tension is drawn out and then it's resolved. Because we're... we're almost hard our brains are almost hardwired for that right if there's conflict we want resolution to it mm -hmm. so how do you think about heightening I think there there are different ways to approach it so one way that I've approached heightening is to label like if the more that we discover about where we are right now the more likely we are to discover what needs to happen next so there was a scene that I did with Baron where we were on a ship and the ship was going down. It was like, okay, well, what's around me right now? <laughs> like, what can I do? Like, um, and then from there, we'll, like, if there's no hope, then what? Like, there needs to be something else that happens, like, before our ship sinks. And then it's like, well, we could die happy. <laughs> we could throw a party. <laughs> um, so it's the more that the more that I know about where I am right now, the more likely I, I am to find what comes next. And then the other uh, the other thing is to identify a want. Um, 
which I think has been much more powerful is um, if my character wants something very specific, then my character can be put in any situation and have something to do as long as the want has not been satisfied. So there was the, the scene that we did on conflict where I, it was Kate and I, and the, the main want for my character was that she was, so she, my character was a mistress and she wanted uh, Kate to get back with her wife so that my character could go back to being a miss, being a mistress because being a girlfriend was too hard. It was too much work. Um, and I think that like having that, uh, having that want, it informs so much about who the character is and we can like do so much. Like if, if that's something that my character wanted, what else would my character be willing to do? Well, she'd be willing to reach out to Kate's ex to be like, hey, is this possible? <laughs> is this feasible? Can we make this happen? Um, and heightening becomes, it becomes easier because anytime that I feel like I, I've tried to satisfy this want through this action and it didn't work, okay, like there's another thing that I can try to satisfy this want that probably also won't work. And then we can do that until we get to a resolution. Here, Alyssa and I do two improv scenes, and to prime the imagination pump a little bit, we talk about Thanksgiving. What's your most memorable Thanksgiving, or what, what's a, a Thanksgiving memory that comes to mind for you? Thanksgiving memory that comes to mind. So most of my, most of the Thanksgivings from, they were very stressful, and then eventually my parents got tired of being stressed on Thanksgiving, so now they're very relaxed, and um, they, they don't care about tradition. It's just like, we're just going to have a day off and we're going to not be stressed about anything because we hit our quota for stress. Um, and so why, why they, were they stressful? what would they get stressed out about? Or what would you get stressed out about? So my parents would get stressed out about everything aligning with tradition like the turkey has to be present and correct and all the like various all right thanksgiving foods have to be prepared um, no one's like all that excited about them but they have to be here and we have to we have to have to eat a lot of it or else <laughs> and, and we have to like watch thanksgiving type content movies tv shows it has like if we stray from the fact that today is thanksgiving there will be consequences so we have to stick to it um but what would the consequences be just more stress i apparently <laughs> <laughs> i yeah i i'm not sure what they what they were under the impression would happen <laughs> If, uh, if like there wasn't a turkey on Thanksgiving, um, yeah, we'd, we'd all get arrested probably. <laughs> um, someone was gonna come by and check the house and uh, if, they didn't, if they didn't smell turkey cooking, we were all going to prison. <laughs> the stakes were high and they, and they acted like it. <laughs> okay, so um, 
doorbell rings and ding dong. Oh, yes, hello. Hi, ma'am. I'm Detective Brickley with the Turkey Authority Administration. Oh, oh um, yeah, I mean, it's it's Thanksgiving uh, and I, I knew this could happen. So I, do, you do you have a warrant? Um, is, there, is everything okay, officer? Yeah, we, we have two warrants actually. Um, both your neighbors on either side have made complaints that there's no smell of turkey whatsoever in the area. In the in the air. Okay, well, have you considered knocking on their doors? Um, <laughs> it's like uh, maybe the maybe the lack of turkey smell is coming from Patricia's house. Like she is. I I mean I've been to her house. She keeps sweaters in her oven. It's not great. You should you should go over there, check on her. Yeah, we we, we check Patricia's house. She's got one of the new um, smokeless turkeys. No smell, so everything's good there. But. Um, Seems like, ma'am, you're you're really deflecting on this, and uh, I think you know the consequences. So, here's the thing about consequences. Um, maybe for holidays, we just we just relish in the fact that we can have consequences. Not that we can execute on them, but just that we can have them. Wouldn't you say? Well, and I think life. <laughs> Life is about consequences and you have to take responsibility for your actions. And do you have somebody here that can can watch the, are you even cooking anything back there? I am cooking so much that it's absurd. And if you looked at it, your eyes would fall out of your face. That's why I'm deflecting so much is I'm trying to protect you from how extravagant uh, the meal that I'm preparing for today actually is. So you're really preparing the most incredible Thanksgiving Day feast. Sure. And if we were to if we were to step into the kitchen, you could just show me everything, right? I'm sure that I could, but you wouldn't want to see it if you <laughs> if you walked in. It would be too much. Well, or maybe I could just like step into the hallway and you could bring out one or two dishes. You think that would work? Yeah, the hallway. You could come on, come right on in here into the hallway. Okay, um, great, great. And and maybe if you could bring some, I'm actually a little um little famished. Been been this is my third potential arrest today. So um potential. Yeah, well I you're mean, not ma'am, you're not under arrest yet. But as you said, actions have consequences or we need to think about consequences. And the, and if you can't produce traditional Thanksgiving food at this moment on Thanksgiving, um, it could end in an arrest. Well, if you <laughs> if you're gonna arrest me, I'm not gonna give you a snack, which is why I will give you a snack so that you don't arrest me. Um, uh, have fun relishing, um, really admiring all of my family photos. As you can see here, I have children <laughs> who need me. So one is two and one is four. Their names are Jim and John. Um, they're in their rooms right now because they're afraid of police. So I'm just gonna go and get a snack. <laughs> Um, I hope you like mashed potatoes. That's traditional, right? I've saw, I've seen that. You like mashed potatoes. Everything else is still cooking. Okay, we, we, okay. Cut, we cut to the, we cut to the kitchen, and um, and and little Jimmy comes downstairs. Mom, mom, what's going on? Um, so you know how you know how actions have consequences. <laughs> Yes, um, mommy, you, you, you always tell me that. 
Yeah, so we might uh, be facing some consequences for Thanksgiving. Um, the issue is that uh, under, under <laughs> recent legal legislative changes, uh, people can be arrested for not preparing all traditional Thanksgiving foods on Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, the grocery store actually didn't have any turkeys when I went to it. So we're going to have to try to trick this officer uh, into believing that we have prepared turkey on Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, or else there will be consequences. That's, I just want to, I just want to keep our parent-child relationship very honest. Um, I don't want to lie to you and tell you that I'm not going to jail. I don't know if I'm going to jail. Um, you could be going to jail for all I know. We could all be going to, you'll never see your friends again if we get arrested today. Okay, we, 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 we cut to a year later. Um, yep, so you got the top bunk here. I sleep on the bottom bunk. Um, here's the mirror, here's the, the toilet. And um, yeah, we, we, we leave for, for rec break at usually the, the siren sounds at 11. Cool. Um, so uh, how, how, did you, how did you end up in prison? Yeah, uh, manslaughter. Um, I was in a self-destructive phase and drinking and driving and, and hit somebody. Um, yeah, well, uh, what about you? I'd say it's pretty similar. <laughs> pretty similar, yeah. You don't, you, know, you, don't, you don't have the look that most, um, <laughs> most people here at, at, at Attica have. Um, yeah, it's so... I can, you know, I went through something too. Um, the grocery store ran out of turkeys on Thanksgiving and so I didn't make one. And my neighbors reported me and my whole family <laughs> went to prison. Um, my son is in prison as well. I, my sons, I have two. I used to have pictures of them on the wall, but I guess I'll just have to describe them to you. They're about this tall and one is a little taller. <laughs> and they look oh like my God, I read about this case. It was so awful I, how they broke your family up. Yeah, uh, truly, if they had all put us in the same prison, I would have been fine with that, truly. I, I just like spending time with my family. Um, but this has been, this is interesting. Um, well, I, I just yeah. want to let you know that, that here at, at Attica State Prison, we do follow tradition. Um, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> like when we have the holidays, we strictly follow the meals that we're supposed to eat on those holidays. And so, uh, frankly, I, I think 10 years wasn't enough. I mean, I, if, I, if you didn't follow the traditions, where would they put you? <laughs> What's the worst? What, are, what are, is, is there something worse? <laughs> is, is there, what are they going to take you out of prison and then bring you back? I, <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> You're free to relax as far as I'm concerned. So you're saying we, we, we should just, all, all the different traditions we have here at, at, at Attica, we should just drop them all in, and um, be free. I think we should rise up. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say riot, <laughs> but I will. I'll spell it R-I-O-T. Maybe we should R-I-O-T. <laughs> And, and honestly, that sounds like a good idea. 
What, but I'm worried about the consequences. Uh, you know, I, a wise officer once told me, actions have consequences. <laughs> However, if you are already in prison, how many more consequences could there possibly be? And scene. And scene. That was fun. That was good. That was good. Um, all right, let's try one more. Yeah, let's do cool. one more. Hey, sweetie, the that pumpkin pie smells great. Thank you so much. I spent a very long time making it. And so just hearing those words of affirmation makes a real difference. Thank you so much. Um, I know we've we we've struggled with our communication a little bit and um, affirmations your your love language and my love language is receiving gifts so uh, I think giving and receiving gifts so I think um, I think that's really helping uh, you know that's a part of it I still say that therapy would assist but this is a good start is we can talk to each other finally about things that are important to us yeah mm -hmm. I, I mean going from screaming matches in the middle of the street to being able to share a nice slice of pie in the afternoon is uh is a lot of progress um I yes. feel there's more to unpack still yeah, yeah. And, and I think we have time I mean, obviously, neither one of us is working since we can enjoy um, pie in the afternoon every every uh, weekday, um, which probably that maybe adds a little stress to the relationship. Yeah, the fact that I had to steal all of the ingredients to make this pie and sneak into someone else's house where their gas hasn't been cut off because they've been paying their bills was pretty <laughs> stressful. But um, I'm just happy that People spend time together <laughs> and work on our relationship. <laughs> um, what, what have you sacrificed for our relationship recently? I almost went to prison over this pie for you. Well, it, it, thank God you didn't because the Smiths down the street, the whole family got sent, sent up the river. <laughs> Honestly, they deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Patricia, I'm glad we're we're making progress. Alyssa, this has been great. And it's just fun to do fun to talk improv and fun to do improv. Do you have any um if people want to keep up with you, any social media or anything you want to to plug? So yeah, nothing to nothing to plug. Just uh, stay, stay in school. That's what I have to plug. <laughs> if you're in school, stay in school. <laughs> I love it. Alyssa, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was my interview with Alyssa McGilvery. And as you can tell, improv is a lot of fun. So wherever you are, if there's an in-person improv class or sign up for an online improv class, I think improv is something that can benefit everybody. My name is Ben Guest. You can find all of my work at benbow.substack.com. That's benbow.substack.com. Have a great day.